I had a client yesterday who, God bless her, hit a grand slam home run with her portfolio because of a stock that she picked that most people would be familiar with. It's Tesla. Oh. She's up 100% on her portfolio. Great band from the 90s. In 18 months. Wow. So you would imagine the conversation that goes something like this. Congratulations. This is extraordinary. What do you think we take some off the table? Like you've, you've been at the casino table now for quite a while. The stack of chips in front of you is extraordinary. How about, you know, how do we, why, why don't we take a little break? Why don't we just take some of those chips, put them in your pocket. And you know what she said? I don't. I wasn't there. Hi, this is Ace, producer for Financial Sobriety. There's been a lot of concern about how long this market could run to the upside, and these past few weeks have begun prompting a lot of questions. Even I've been asking the guys what they saw. So they thought a special edition would be appropriate to address the concerns with a little retrospective, a little history, and a discussion like only they could have with what they believe to be the case. Welcome to Financial Sobriety, the podcast. Podcast? This conversation is all about money. Money, not in the context of so many of the other podcasts that are out there. So we're not going to talk about Roth IRAs and, and whether annuities are good or bad and how I can buy the next Tesla stock? I'm afraid not. What are we going to talk about then? We're going to talk about the three most complicated relationships people have in their life. Ooh, tell me more. The relationship people have with their money, how that affects the relationship they have with their people, and ultimately about the person looking back at them in the mirror and the relationship with themselves. So you're saying these are all tied together, these three relationships? Well, if you stick around, we'll tell you more. I haven't seen you look like this, like a slight hangover, <laughs> your tie tie hangover in quite a while. I am tired. We had a big night. We went to a French restaurant. Have you ever eaten French food? I have. Escargot. Ho, 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 ho. So often we talk about different, different delivery devices. Uh-huh. That is an entire category of food. Oh, French. So food? I mean, so you know, a bagel is a butter delivery device. Mashed potatoes is a butter delivery device. Sweet corn is a butter delivery device. This is an entire class of food designed to deliver devoted, salt and butter. Devoted, designed, and created to deliver salt and butter everywhere. Do you remember that scene in Titanic where the iceberg was sticking out? And there was a massive. I mean, you you know the iceberg. The tip is just what shows, and what's underneath. Really, is massive, that's what right? an iceberg is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah you didn't know that. Did oh, you? thank See, you. you. Come here, you learn something. Was that? Did you get that from Wikipedia, or I did, where'd you go? I did. Wikipedia is nice. I mean, it's better than school. That little iceberg that was sticking out. What does that have to do with butter? That was the butter on top of the steak. Oh, that they I did had. the triangular. <laughs> they did the little triangle butter. This iceberg of a hunk yes. of salted butter on top of this prime. New York strip steak with, I think it was broccoli on the side. And of course, just tons of salt and butter on the broccoli and these roasted potatoes that were another delivery system for butter, salt and butter. Oh, so you would have thought I'd be a little gummed up today, but no, not so much. And uh, then we got up and walked four minutes and sat for three hours and change watching this amazing show. Hamilton got home at 11.30 last night, and I'm, yeah. feeling, I'm feeling as hungover as oh, I've felt yeah. in five I mean, years. But in this case, it's just a butter hangover. It's it's a butter, salt, and sitting gotcha. hangover. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we can do a lot of water and high colonics today. That, and this is about the biggest thing of water I could find. So, no, yeah. It's fun, to, it's fun to break up the 
the daily routine a little bit with something like that. And I, I, Hamilton has been on our list for quite a while. Any kind of a player or live performance, and you and I have talked about this, that one of the great luxuries of life is seeing live entertainment, right? Whether yeah. it be live sports, in this case, it's a live play. Yeah. Those things cost actual money. Yes, they do. Real money. Yes, they do. But it wasn't a hard financial decision for us to make. This was very much... It was very intentional. Yeah, it was very intentional. I mean, $165 a ticket for the very last row of orchestra. This was not a cheap spend. Don't forget, come on, don't forget the convenience fee. The convenience fee? Let's talk about that for a second. And the $5 bottle of water. Well, sure, but it's not convenient to me. So what's the convenience fee of of buying it online? Where else am I going to buy it? I'm not going to go to the ticket office. The convenience of having electronic delivery, perhaps? Oh, Today needs to be a special episode. We're going to go off sequence today. French food? Well, we've already talked about French food. I think that was very important to talk about. Italian food? D- had Oh, no, didn't have that Monday night. Two nights in a row I went out for dinner. Haven't done that in a long time. Whew. And today's Wednesday. We right. generally are in the studio on Wednesday, so... You've already had like a week, and it's two days. I've had a week, and it's two days. And as soon as we're done here in studio, I am uh, wheels up, heading home, packing a suitcase, and uh, off to Reno for three days to go spend gambling some time gambling uh, with my life, my money, and uh, visiting with clients. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Not so much on the gambling. Yeah, probably not. Not a lot of time. Well, we seem to have overlapping birthday seasons. Yes. Because you just went through birthday season with your boys in August and now Amy in September. And our two of our four kids had their birthdays in August, and right. Grant's was last week. Right. Birthday now, season. Grant Grant's birthday always holds a very special place in my heart. And since we haven't done our gratitude yet, I'm going to use that as gratitude. Because as mindful as I am of how old my son is, he turned 13 on the 18th. Well, you share your gratitude. Well, that's but my there's gratitude. Some, there's is, something that probably is, happened 13 years is ago. Is the reminder? So 13. Oh, right. He's born in 2008. Hmm. Fun year. Now, that's my gratitude. Is not only was it his birthday, which was a wonderful celebration, and the young man was born in 2008, September 18th, 2008. Hmm. That, in the same regard that we look back at 9/11 with a very solemn day in, in American history. We have to look back at that week in September of 2008, I think, with the same revere. That was a very, very, very solemn week when it comes to the financial well-being of not just the country, but it turned out to be a global financial pandemic. Oh, yeah. And for those of you that may have forgotten by this point, and that's part of the reason we want to talk about this, is... Forgotten what? About that, 2008? That... 2008 happened. Or forgotten what it feels like to lose money. Yes, and. Uh. A combination of both. 2008, on September 14th, it was a Monday. Lehman Brothers. I remember them. AIG. I remember them, too. And Merrill Lynch. Ooh, I'm trying to forget them, but I remember them. All went bankrupt. Hmm. Now, the buildup to that was coming over the weekend, but it was uh, it was still shocking when the market opened on Monday morning, September 14th. When did Bear Stearns go? Was that Bear that was Stearns right went, before? Bear right? Stearns went a little earlier, and that was just we all thought that was a one-off. Oh shoot, one big bank. Okay, went, they're gone. <clears throat> it went several months before because a situational friend of ours ran a hedge fund that custodied all of their client assets at Bear Stearns. Okay, when Bear Stearns blew up, that was a obviously a mess. 
and they had to change custody firms like over the weekend. Wow. So I, I seem to remember that, and we obviously somebody will fact check us, but that was springish. That was like oh, that much Mayish. Uh, Ace, how about a little Google work on on Bear Stearns? So just curious. Why why do we talk about this? Well, you know, we got to learn from history. We got to go back and reflect on what you know. What can we learn from that? Because well, hang markets. On. Before, before you go past that, that uh, something just hit me with this. I mean, so Bear Stearns goes out in the spring, and I remember it now distinctly as oh. That's one company, not a big deal. It was an accident, almost like 9-11. When the first plane went into the building, everybody thought it was an accident. A Cessna went into the building, then a jet, and, and it was an accident. But then when the second plane hit, we knew something really bad was happening. When Lehman, when Merrill, when AIG, I mean, that's almost like the second plane hitting the building. We knew something really bad was going on. When it was just Bear Stearns, one company, yeah, that was March 16th. Thank you for the fact check. So I was I was close. Yeah. I mean, I was it was within a month of so it was a good 6 months before the actual bomb went off. Yeah, yeah. But I got to re- I got to rewind the tape even further. So we Beth and I we bought the house that we live in today. We bought the house in July of 2007. Back then, the concept of making a contingent offer or a non-contingent offer. Let, we'll pick this apart here. So a non-contingent offer on a piece of real estate means that I do not have to sell the piece of property that I'm in now to close on the next piece of property I'm buying. Right. Because right? that assumes you've got some cash in the bank to cover down So I'm making and... a non-contingent offer to buy the next house. Okay. Contingent offers are a thing of the past here in our neck of the woods, right? In, in Northern California and many major metropolitan areas, a contingent offer doesn't it, – it's not – it's just not something that's done anymore. The seller won't accept it because they don't need to. So at this point in the, in the real estate market in Northern California, things were cooling off. We buy our house non-contingent, but we still have the old house. Yeah. And I'll never forget this. My friend Meredith Schneider – maybe she's listening. We – trained together at Smith Barney, and she's down in, in the South Bay, we were both using something called seven-day floaters. And this is a very niche— Is that something niche-y... you put on top of your cocktail? It's like a Bacardi 151 kind of thing? It is. It's very similar. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar. Yeah. This is a niche kind of thing in the cash management market where you get a better interest rate because it's tied up for seven days than purely liquid. Okay. She called me, and she said, hey— are you having any problem with your clients that have the seven-day floaters for your cash management strategies? I said, not that I'm aware of. And it was two days later that one of those pieces of paper for a client, it was $250,000, client owned a commercial landscape business, it couldn't roll over. What do you mean? The, could, mark, the market had frozen. It, so it couldn't it, go from one seven-day floater to the next? Yeah, just it froze up. The bottle of Bacardi was empty. Well, or you're watching your computer screen or you're on a Zoom and it freezes. Yeah, yeah. That's what happened. It's that awkward pause. That pause was intentional. Yeah, good pause. That was the first shot across the bow, but had no idea, right? I mean, that was August of 2007. Hmm. So then Barry Stearns goes down in March of 2008, and Lehman, Merrill, and AIG don't implode until September 14th, 2008. Which now we know there's a problem. Well, that was a Nelly bar the door kind of thing. Yeah. Right. The, the reason I we want to talk about this, and we could certainly get into 
credit default swaps and leverage and all these things that would make your eyes roll up in your head if you're listening. All things you're grateful for. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> is that we have to remember that markets can go down. I would, I would argue that most people have probably forgotten the melee that happened with the pandemic in March of 2020. What pandemic? Right. So 2008 is just an incredible story. There's some wonderful movies on it. There's a book called Too Big to Fail. If you're an avid reader of history, and in this case, financial history, it is the absolute best book I've read on kind of a look back at what happened. How did Lehman Brothers you know, a venerable firm that I think was something like 140 years old at the time. Well, it was it was ego and greed. It mm. was the two classic conditions that it takes for a venerable firm like that to implode. Mm -hmm. Same with Merrill, same with AIG. They had too much debt and they had too much leverage. And so it's a house of cards that just starts falling down. The market was going into free fall and Beth's due any day. Oh. Grant's born. Ta-da! Right? Miracle. Healthy baby, healthy mommy. It's all good. But I had this unbelievable, awful pressure like, I got to go. Bye. Because the market was melting. And it's our job when the market's melting to run into the burning building right. to do what we can. But this wasn't melting. This was free fall. We've lost both engines. We've lost all lift. And the plane is going 45 degrees <laughs> into the ground. And I got a new baby at home, baby number four, just to, if you're keeping score at home. Oh, the pressure from that. And on top of baby number four, you're carrying the weight now of how many mortgages? Well, we had cleaned up. We, we finally got that train wreck of a house. We got rid of that in June of 2008. Oh, you did? Oh, lovely. Sold it June of 2008. However, because we had our vacation home and our primary residence a mile apart, <laughs> We racked up some massive debt. Yeah. Debt that I could never imagine myself. I mean, I'm a financial advisor. How the bleep did I let this happen? Well, what did you do? Did you take a you take a page out of the Lehman playbook and build a helipad on the roof or something? Well, I mean... and I had my private elevator. No. You know, a dear dear friend of ours was in a was in a similar debt situation but in a totally different circumstance in a different state with, you know, investment real estate that he had. And we would get together for coffee and kind of, you know, cry in our coffee cup and go, well, I guess we're going to Ace Hardware to buy new shovels because we wore this one out. And we're just going to dig our way out. Mm -hmm. There were large swaths of days, if not weeks, in 08, you know, September, October. I mean, the market alone in the month of October was down 20%. And put the backdrop of Gebhardt Group being a toddler. Gebhardt Group was three years old at the time. And, I mean, come on. We talked about French food at the beginning of the show. I was trained as a classically trained French chef to cook food a certain way. Yeah. And the way I was taught how to cook food was to buy and hold. We don't adjust. Yeah, maybe a little, you know. Yeah, like a rebalance uh, uh, quarterly. You know, a snitch up or down. But we're not. We're certainly not going to be out of the market. We're certainly not going to be partially out of the market. You're certainly not going to avoid certain asset classes that perhaps aren't in favor right now. No. When you are in the market. No, you're going to get on the PA system. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, here we are on the flight today, uh, 2008, from Reno to Sacramento. It's going to be really bumpy as we go over the mountains. We've got those little barfy bags in the front thing. 
borrow neighbors if you fill yours and just suck it up and get through it. Yeah. That, if you look behind the scenes on buy and hold investing, is really what they're telling you to do. You and I spent a lot of time with one of our ventures called 401k Masters. Ooh, there's a how about that skeleton from the closet there you way go. back when. Is the concept of buy, hold, and hope. Because ultimately, with that strategy, you have to hope that it works out okay. So it's 2008. Let's pretend. Let's just pretend. I don't know. You want to be 62, 4, or 6 years old? Let's be 62. All right. We're 62, and we're hoping to retire at 65. Yeah. In the very classic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, come. Oh, man. I'm feeling really good about myself. It's December of 2007, and my 401k statement just showed me an all-time high. I'm like three years out. I can smell it. I can feel it. I can taste it. It's so close. And I've got all the money I'll ever need to take care of myself. Until about Halloween 2008, where if you were going with the conventional approach, you were down somewhere in the 35 to 50% range. Ooh, that might now change how I see my retirement that's supposed to be three years out. It changed a lot of people's retirement because not only not only did their, their investment portfolios, 401ks, their stock portfolios plummet, but it was at the same time of a housing crisis. So the, the very house that we had dug a hole to get ourselves into dropped about 20 or 25% in value in that first year. So now we were underwater on the house. My business was going into a 45-degree angle into the ground. We got another bird in the bird nest that we got to feed. And the pressure was unlike anything I've ever felt. That had to be, oof. And we've talked about it before on the show. I mean, I, I would lie awake at night hoping the good Lord would take me. You know, just give me a heart attack. Let me, because, let me, you know, in, in, in your story of if I turn the wheel two degrees to the left, I can hit the oncoming truck. I felt much the same way because I had a truckload worth of life insurance. Mm -hmm. Still do. I hope it's never used now, yeah. right? But the pressure was, it was that sense of I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this. It was a sense of hopelessness I've never felt before. And why are we talking about this? Because there's well, you probably— You my question away. Well, why, why are you <laughs> you're, you're hungover. I'm going to do all the talking. <laughs> there's people that feel that today. Well, they feel that today because of COVID. They feel that today because they've lost a loved one. They've lost a job. They've lost, they've lost an entire business that they spent their lifetime building. Yeah. And through no fault of their own, COVID comes along— Blows up their entire industry. I'm thinking of, a, of an architectural firm I was referred to in the middle of COVID that they're down in Los Angeles, and they had a 401k plan that they needed some help with. And before we really got going, I said, well, you know, how are things going for your business? Oh, geez, it's, it's rough. Well, what, what's the niche? What niche are you in in architecture? Oh, we design restaurants. Oh, there you go. So through no fault of their own, there were six partners in this firm. They were all 55 to 65 years old. They were having their own 08 all over again. Yeah. And that's why we're talking about this today, because ladies and gentlemen of the jury, there is risk in the world. There is risk in investing, whether it be stocks, whether it be bonds, whether it be real estate. These are not risk-free assets. And what risk-free assets do exist today, what do those pay you, Bob? Zero. Zero. So we're being forced to take risk. And so much of what you and I do in our private practice 
is about is number one is being aware of the risk. So many clients that we meet for the first time have no concept of the risk that we're taking. And I love the analogies that, that you have taught me on how to present that to a client. And I used it just the other day with a client who their, their portfolio is in a Ferrari in the left lane doing about a buck 30, a buck 40, zooming along. It's a beautiful day. Yeah. Sun's out. It's awesome. Brakes not needed. Brakes not needed. No road conditions, no weather, right? They're just, they are just having the time of their life. Only they don't know it. They don't even know that well, they're a, in the left come lane. Come on, it's a Ferrari. You can't actually feel 130 miles an hour when True, you're in a Ferrari. True, it feels like. Yeah. That's the problem, is that when we talk about risk, what people, at least the way I used to view it and the conversations that I have with people is when they think of the word risk, they think of loss. They think of sure just half of what risk is. And, and we've got to go back to our old physics, right? Physics applies to the stock market. And there's no such thing as something just having one half to it, right? I mean, it, what was it, an Einstein theory that energy is neither created nor destroyed, it's merely transferred. Every action has an equal and opposite reaction. So when you think of those two physics concepts and apply them to the stock market, and we say the word risk, risk isn't just about downside. Risk isn't just about losing money. Risk is also about making money. Sure. Risk is, is a range of how high can I go versus how low can I go. And, and you can't have one without the other. You can't have a yin without the yang. You can't have daytime. A gym without the mat. You can't have gym without mat. That's the new yin and yang, by there, the way. There you just go. to let's put it out there. No freaking frack. It's gym and mat. Exactly. I love it. But you can't. I mean, there's no day without night. There's no winter without summer. I mean, everything has a range. I think Matt and Jim rolls better. Oh. Well, it, you don't say jelly and peanut butter. You don't. Right? You don't. Okay. You say, and I, and I should be the peanut butter. You should be the jelly. True. Yeah. I'm feeling a little peanut buttery today. We're going to a conference next week for a few days. Yeah. That is all built around the concept of measuring risk. Measuring it and then managing it. I had a client yesterday who, God bless her, hit a grand slam home run with her portfolio because of a stock that she picked that most people would be familiar with. It's Tesla. Oh. She's up 100% on her portfolio. Great band from the 90s. In 18 months. Wow. So you would imagine the conversation that goes something like this. So Ms. Client, congratulations. This is extraordinary. What do you think we take some off the table? Like, you've, you've been at the casino table now for quite a while. The stack of chips in front of you is extraordinary. How about, you know, how do we, why, why don't we take a little break? Why don't we just take some of those chips, put them in your pocket? Take some of those chips. She happens to be 63 years old. She's single. She runs her own business that's been very challenged by COVID. And you know what she said? I don't. I wasn't there. You know, actually, I think if the stock splits, I'm going to buy more. Fabulous. So she completely understands how risk works in both directions because she's obviously enjoying the hell out of the risks that she's taking because it's making her money on the upside. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure she's completely aware of the higher this goes, the farther it falls because risk, again, it's not a zero-sum game. Clearly. It's an equal amount of upside as there is to the downside. So she knows that, right? Clearly oblivious to that. You once drew this really cool 
diagram on the whiteboard in, in the old office. Oh yeah, remember that old I, office? Sure, we had? I know where you're going. Yeah, and what you used to what you, what you talked about was how as human beings, we can only project and see outward in the same direction, kind yeah. of one direction. Yeah, right. So if we're going up, all we can ever see is going up. Right. We can't see flat or down. Right. How many of our clients? in April of 2009, called me to add money to their portfolios? Probably none. Zero. Yeah. Yet that's when we were triggered, based on our indicators, to get back in the market after the whole 08 debacle. Correct. When I get the opportunity to work with a brand new investor, one of the very first things I always love to share with them is you need to train yourself to do the emotional opposite of what you feel like doing. And I could not get through to the client yesterday the fact that she feels like adding to the position because it has been her, not even bellwether, it's been her one-time get-out-of-jail-free card mm -hmm. to make an extraordinary amount of money in a short period of time, and yet she wants to add to it. That's super frustrating from an advisor perspective because you and I, we spend most of our time managing the risk. Yeah. And- we got, you know, it must be analogy Wednesday. We got the cars in the left lane and we got sports analogies. I mean, she's in the fourth quarter. She's at the two-minute warning. She's the exact client that we were profiling when I said pick an age and you said 62. Okay, she's 63, right? We can't have any expectation or, or hazard a guess at what might prompt the next to wait. And granted, we just had one called COVID in March of 2020. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm, okay, I'm going to push back with you on that. COVID was more like 9-11. COVID was a black swan event we didn't see coming. What happened in 08 was something that we saw coming. We just chose not to pay attention to it. You saw it coming when your seven-day Bacardi 151 floaters started clogging up in 2007. Yeah, but didn't know, didn't know well, that then, that was going to be you know, well, symptomatic then, of... But come on, there were news stories about the leverage in the real estate market, and True. you and I were seeing people in our own Ninja communities. Loans. Yeah, people in our own communities, people making you know good good incomes, good taking care of their families. They're they're making fifty thousand a year, eighty thousand a year, a hundred thousand a year. Yet they're qualifying for mortgages on million dollar homes because of the way mortgages were created to become quote unquote more affordable. We saw the writing on the wall. We saw how banks were levered. We saw Bear Stearns go in March because of this. I mean, all the warning shots were there. All right, we got we to gotta stop. We got to push pause. I came in today thinking that we were going to be able to get everything we wanted to talk about with what's going on in the world today done in one single episode. Well, sure we did. We, that, we actually did it in one episode. We did, but it's, it's, it's a lot. There's a lot. So let, let's pause here today. And let's do this now for the second time. We did this with Rishi. Now we're going to do it for a second time in a row where the second part of this conversation that we are having is going to be available to listen to tomorrow, one day later. We're getting closer to a daily podcast. Oh, how much fun would that be if we had a daily podcast? I don't know if we'd ever get anything done. Well, isn't that the point of the show? <laughs> well, I had fun with you today, my friend. I it am was looking, a great conversation. I am looking forward to the second half of our conversation, which will be available to listen to right here on Your Financial Sobriety tomorrow. And with that, my friend, that's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. 
and check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.